0: What is creativity? What are its origins? And how do we access creativity in our lives? This podcast explores the intersection of creativity, innovation, and everyday life. At this crossroads, we experience wonder and magic. And, if we're lucky, transformation. It's the Quotidian. the Quotidian Podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm Bradley Dennis. This week we're speaking to musical innovator and polymath Pierce Freelon. Pierce is an amazing person with a huge amount of talent and I was particularly interested in speaking to him about his role most recently as a city council member in Durham, North Carolina's city governance. He brings something very unique to the table, which you don't see a lot of in current politics. And that is that creative mindset and perspective of thinking laterally across multiple possibilities in creative modalities. He speaks about that. He also talks a little bit uh, about the future and what he calls Afrofuturism. Uh, Of particular note right now, It hadn't happened when we taped, but he and his mother have both received independent (laughs) Grammy nominations for their amazing work. In particular, Pierce and his children's album, Black to the Future, which he recorded with four generations of freelans. It's his daughter and son, it's him, it's his mother Nina and grandmother, whose name I'm forgetting, I apologize. It's an amazing work, We'll link to that in the description below. So first of all, congratulations, huge congratulations to the Freelon family, particularly to Pierce. Uh, We're thrilled as is the entire Durham community. It's a, just an absolute nod to the wealth of creative work and talent that we have here. And it's a thrill to be even near him. So we were a little short on time at the end of the episode, uh, and I was unable to ask Pierce to direct our attention to where we can find links and more information about his most latest projects. So I'll do that here. In particular, you can go to www.piercefreelawn.com, we'll link to that below, and there's a multitude of links to all sorts of stuff that he's done, from uh, his most recent stuff, Black to the Future, the Children's Album. Uh, his work with Beat Lab, there's all sorts of poetic work that he's done in the past. It's it's a cornucopia of, of talent and beauty. So please go check that out. But until then, thank you for being here. And please enjoy our conversation here at The Quotidian with Mr. Pierce Freelon. Pierce Freelon, uh, welcome to The Quotidian. Thank you so much for being here. I really Thanks. appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, we're both uh, sons of Durham, North Carolina. I'm. I grew up here. You grew up here. Uh, both of us are musicians, and I'm just absolutely attracted to to the work that you've done. I mean, with the Beast, um, I first came across your work in 2013. We actually have a mutual friend in John Casby. Um, when when you did uh, heartbeats of fiji and and yep. the whole beat making lab um, and i'm really interested to talk to you about a couple things number 1 your work as a teacher teaching creativity and helping both underprivileged populations as well as as privileged and in, and in, in that role but also your role as as a leader and and would be politician um, but before we get into any of that, you come from a really strong, creative background, um, Grammy-nominated mother, um, world-class, award-winning architect father. And I'm really curious. I mean, obviously, you grew up in a creative household. How, how many kids do your parents have? How many brothers and sisters do you have?
1: Uh, I'm the youngest of three.
0: Youngest of three. So that, that kind of puts another spin on this question is how, I mean, obviously you were supported creatively in your, in your household growing up. How did you differentiate your own voice and how did you find your own voice creatively growing up? Was that difficult or did you find it easy?
1: Uh, Well, I think, you know, every person is as different as, 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 you know, the shape of a do you, you ever you remember back in the science class where they sh- zoom in on a snowflake and you see the different geometrical shape. Uh, it's the kind of thing where when it's falling down from the sky, it just looks like a big white poof. Uh, but then as you as you peer closer, the fingerprint of each individual is very unique. Um, so I never had a problem. Uh, distinguishing myself uh, my siblings and I are very different my parents are very different from one another um, and uh, and we're different from them that's the beautiful thing about when two people come together to uh, create children you know certainly you draw some genetic material from uh, from each of them but there are also these kind of dormant genes that they pass on to you and you're like you know you've got your grandmother's charisma you've got your your great aunt's eyes um you know and so we're just this amalgamation of uh, um thousands of individuals i mean if you count back just eight generations you're talking about eight eight nine generations you're talking about a thousand people um, who've contributed to you just genetically. Uh, and then we have, uh, there's this lady um, who's a, a mentor and a friend and another Durham, Durhamite uh, named Omishade Bernie Scott who talks about, um, we have our ancestors genetically and then we have our ancestors and our cultural through line And um, those are the folks uh, in our community Um, and the folks who we study, admire, emulate that um, kind of uh, contribute to the cultural genetic makeup of who you are. And for me, uh, those people included people like Baba Chuck Davis of the African-American Dance Ensemble. I
0: remember him well.
1: You know, yeah. I mean, there's just so many folks
0: I used to play with him at uh, ADF and Summers would go out there and and play the Jun June with him and a good friend of my family's, uh, Jimmy Williams, who was one of his dancers.
1: Oh, great. Yeah. I mean, what a, what an impact. So much of the work I was doing with black space um, and beat making lab before that and poetic justice before that was, um, You know, I wasn't doing architecture like my dad. I wasn't singing like my mom. I was doing community cultural movement work like Baba Chuck, who was a mentor, and um, I really saw the power in what he was doing. So, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think that's it. I didn't. I never struggled to make myself, uh, you know, feel different or to stand out or how do i i just lived uh into um into a purpose that was kind of co-defined by the wonderful folks i had around me
0: and speaking of that that lineage and tapping into it do you do you find yourself engaging any sort of ritual or process that that taps into that or perhaps different identities for different projects. How do you how do you engage with that that lineage that you're talking about?
1: Well, uh, I think a lot of it for most of my life was uh, intuitive. Um, You know, in fact, some of it I resisted. One of my biggest um, one of my biggest ancestral influences is my grandmother, uh, Queen Mother Frances Pierce. And when I was little and she was trying to be all pro-Black, I found it annoying. It was like, (laughs) you're doing the most right now and it's embarrassing, you know? Um, But what she was doing is she was planting seeds within me that uh, took years to germinate and come to fruition. And so before I know it, um, this lady, who used to be the bane of my existence when she would show up in a space in a big colorful dashiki and, you know, be making friends with random strangers. We're talking to everybody. We walk by, she's making friends. Everywhere is like church to her. And uh, lo and behold, you know, now as a father, <laughs> my kids are like, dad, why are we talking to everybody? I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's funny. Cause it that's comes how my grandma me. was. Yeah, like so. I think that part of it is intuitive. Um, though you know, more recently, I have developed certain practices to kind of hone my antenna uh, to the vibration of my ancestors, and you know, it's basic stuff like um, sleep, meditation. Um, you know, just living with intention, uh, speaking things, um, with intention and, uh, you know, I think, uh, journaling is, has been really important for me, just writing things down. Um, and, you know, I've just kind of grown and and matured and these tools, uh, have helped take what was intuitive or kind of what feels natural and has turned it into a, you know, a practice. I like, you know, I meditate every day. I do yoga every day, uh, at least 20 minutes. Uh, if I skip a day, I'll do 40 minutes. The next day I try to just have that be a discipline that, um, that helps me focus uh, those energies and, you know, I make my bed every day. I, I, um, which is something I saw on Instagram, this army generals, like you want to, you want to be excellent, make your bed every day. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. You know, like for years, I just hop out of bed and wherever the sheet falls, it falls. But now uh, probably for the past six, seven years, I make my bed every day and and it's something that helps me, um, you know, you know, you accomplish on the, on a, on a, what do you call that? A chemical level, you know, you've accomplished something. It releases endorphins. There's like physiological things that happen when you accomplish a goal. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to start the day with that, you know, that boost of, um, of, uh, accomplishment, even if it's a small one and it helps set the tone that you want to replicate throughout the day. So anyway, different stuff like that, yeah. um, has helped me kind of, uh, tune my antenna, I guess I, I would say.
0: That's fascinating. Yeah. I, I had the exact same thing about 12 years ago, engaged in a, with a mentor who was one of the first two things he said. He said the first one, take a picture of yourself as a kid and put it somewhere where you'll see it every day so that you get to have a one-on-one with that dreamer, with that person that had those aspirations and that you can reconnect with. And he said, the second one is make your bed. And that's the same thing. Every day you Mm. pass by it, you see it, you know, it's something, it's an accomplishment. No, even if the day goes to hell, (laughs) you've done that. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant.
1: Yeah. You know what, what, what you said just made me think of another one. I was talking to my mom last night and she told me one that I think I, I might try to start trying. She said you cup your hands like you're, you know, holding some water and you speak your name into your palms, your whole name. So for me, Pierce Randall Freelon. I don't usually use my middle name, but you speak your whole name. She said it's particularly powerful for women who may have changed their name, maybe they got married, changed their last name. Sometimes if you do change your last name, you drop your middle name. Um, Or even people who get married and don't change their last name may alter their name in some way. So anyway, you speak the name on your birth certificate into your hands, and then you wash it over you like as if you were doing like a little birdbath. And she has found that to be a powerful similar kind of reminder of who you are and that younger version of yourself feeling uh empowered to uh to wash their curiosity imagination and and spirit of joy uh, all over yourself so that was uh that was another interesting practice
0: naming things has power absolutely that's a, that's a good one I, I think I'll start doing that one as well I'm curious from your perspective um, the word creativity is is used a lot in our culture um, oftentimes directly associated with art artists and is is kind of marginalized how how do you think of or define creativity
1: yeah uh, I mean, Listen, I, I think that it's, it, it, the way that society has marginalized the word is, as you've described is inaccurate. I think more people are creative. Oftentimes we hear people say, oh, no, I don't have a creative bone in my body. or I'm not creative at all. And it, it's not true. I think that we improvise every day. This conversation is improvised. It takes creativity to have a conversation with someone to listen to what they say, react. That's improvisation. It's the same thing that a soloist does when they're, um, you know, performing in a jazz band. Uh, and it takes creativity. Um, parenting requires creativity. You know, this new life comes into the world, and you don't have a script or a blueprint uh, about how to raise this being. Um, and so you improvise some, you know, there are some things that, that are scripted, but most of life is unscripted. Um, and, uh, and it takes a village. It takes collaboration. You don't do it alone. That's another thing about creativity. I think there are certain aspects of creativity that you can do in a silo and that's important and can be really special and sacred and healing. But, um, I think the, the best art is, uh, and creative processes are, are shared. Um, that's just the nature of our communal species, and um, you know, a marriage. I've been married for wow, going on fourteen years, and that takes creativity. It takes the ability to listen, to improvise, to speak, to to step back, step forward. Um, and and I oftentimes uh, hear the the symphony of our marriage um you know you know and sometimes i'm like dang we really need to shed you know as a musician uh, that's what we call practicing you know sometimes you need to put the work in to to hone your instrument so that you can play in harmony with others uh yeah sometimes it just sounds terrible because that's uh that's the nature of what you bring to the space on any given day so yeah i don't i mean if you cook well, you know, I think cooking is another one though. People do consider the culinary arts an art um, and they, they name it as that, but I don't think most people who, uh, you know, who look in the pantry or the fridge and pick these things and put them together, whip it up. I don't think they consider that art, you know, outside of the, the context of like, I'm going to study it. You know, like those things are examples of creativity of improvisation of um that spirit of uh it's really like a black space we call it like the god power because um you know regardless of what your beliefs are uh you know there is the idea of of like there was nothing but now there's something i've created something you are out of nothing yeah you are a creator that is the primary essence of a celestial being is that oh let there be light you know and, and that while you can't make a sun uh burst into the void uh or do the big bang or any of the other things that um you know people associate with uh with a creator on the macro cosmic sense you can absolutely you know take an idea and and make it manifest uh, and, and in that regard, you know, that that is a divine power, uh, in my opinion.
0: And, and it's not lost on me, too, that oftentimes we associate the an idea with a light coming on. Right. <laughs> Let there be light. Like when the idea comes, suddenly something's illuminated, too. Well, I was um, kind of back to the, the the first point that you made, that a lot of people don't think that they're creative, but just mm-hmm. the fact that we're Improvising with language coming up. We've got this mm-hmm. vocabulary of 10,000, 20,000 words, or however many, and we're picking and choosing in order to express something. That was uh, the first time that I'd heard that. I think I was. I, I heard Noam Chomsky talking about linguistics of all things, mm. which to my mind is not a creative pursuit it's a very rote thing that that you know you look at there's words and it's a science and and he was saying just the fact that people can communicate is is highly creative and and that kind of mm-hmm. blew my mind in a lot of ways and one thing that you also mentioned was this idea that that a lot of people don't think they're they're creative and that that's a very persistent mm-hmm. delusion that goes through i think mm-hmm. it's enculturated is that is combating that uh, something that's conscious for you when you're work when you're working with young people when you're going to communities when you're teaching is that conscious? Uh,
1: I wouldn't say it's a it's a core tenant uh, that I try to you know that I try to um, you know that I try to teach necessarily. It's kind of like. Uh, your earlier question about um you know how do you tap into your kind of inner chi it's like a lot of that is intuitive it's it's ingrained i think in who i am so maybe you'll catch it uh but it's not something i talk about a lot unless asked um mm-hmm. i think there's a way in which uh you know i come from a a black experience and a black freedom struggle and when i think about things like creativity and language it's really associated with survival and you know language is a technology being able to read is a it's a technology it allows us to you know store things from the past and pass it forward to the future um and for many years uh black people's uh You know, one of our primary uh, modules for uh, uh, transferring information was the oral tradition Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, storytelling, um, you know, music. These things were not just uh, that. Well, on one hand, they were they were hard drives. They were the cloud. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, They were Google. In fact, there's this African proverb. You know, when an old person dies, a library burns to the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we can preserve libraries uh, now uh, physically, but you can also do it through through speaking and through language and through storytelling and through music and song. And uh, and again, you know that that was a, that was a survival mechanism. Because if you don't know what plants are going to kill you if you eat them and what ones are going to heal you under different circumstances, then you have a lesser chance of survival. If you don't know, um, you know, if you can't learn from the cumulative brilliance of your ancestors, then you're starting fresh every single time. There are things that we carry uh, in our bodies, um, you know, kind of genetic uh, hard drives. That um, are intuitive, but um, there are also some things that need to be taught and learned every generation so that we can kind of continue to ascend as a people as a species and um, you know also just creativity in a in, in the context of the Black freedom struggle I think about things like um, you know I think about things like spirituals the way we coded you um, you know, instructions on how to get free into the lyrics of our spirituals, the way we took food that was kind of cast away as trash and, and we made cuisine out of that. The way we took language, you know, language like English and we infused our tongue and our patois and our yorba and our ga and our tui and our hausa into that uh English language and and really created like a southern draw. So many of what the the accent that people associate with being in the south is actually black african tongue woven into the fabric of uh of english i mean alongside you know poor irish and scottish uh slang and twang mm-hmm. you know it's a bit of a it's a bit of a uh you know a gumbo here especially in the south in the united states uh with indigenous kind of language and words and Things as well, um, but that those weren't just uh, those weren't just creative. They were also uh, they were also about survival. They were also about um, preserving our history and our culture um, as a means of of surviving and being resilient and and not allowing your identity and your ancestors to be erased. Yeah. Uh, though that was a, a goal of our oppressor. They were not successful, and um, and the results of that are the cultural products that we see that Black folks have contributed to the world. You know, including jazz and hip hop, and uh, and so many other wonderful things. Not just in the arts, you know, the arts. I'll use quotes since we know that everything is creative. Yeah, but uh, you know, in the in the forms of of technology and cultural innovation and literature and and. you know and in, in everything we've kind of left a big collective footprint as uh, as black folks and so i think that's that part of it is important too. when i think about uh you know when i want to think about the way we've remixed and reinvented and uh and revitalized our, our culture and then seen the way that it's gone on to
0: impact uh every corner of this earth do you feel like that's um the most important thing about teaching people how to engage creative thought is, is that sense of self and that sense of, of collective story and preservation?
1: Um, I think, you know, like I said, uh, my story is really um, colored, no pun intended by, by the, you know, the strokes of my ancestors. And so I, I speak, I've studied and and um, am an expert in in a Black experience. So that's kind of the lens that I offer. But, you know, when we were teaching um, Poetic Justice, which was this uh, after school program we did in the Durham Public School System, me and my buddy Kane Smigo, uh, who went on to co found the Sacrificial Poets in Chapel Hill with a CJ suit and some other guys in the poetry scene there. Um, they always talked about how the personal is universal and the universal is very personal. And so in, in articulating how the black experience has been important for our survival, I think people of any background can extrapolate the ways in which their ancestors have used art and technology and speech and culture and, you know, to, uh, you know to situate themselves in the world, and you know if you look at um, ancient Chinese society and culture, and and the way that um, the way that art and creativity has has influenced the development of that society, uh, indigenous folks, you know, northern Nordic European folks. Uh, I think that that regardless of where you look. Um, You know, you'll find that those things are true. Yeah. Um, There's a way in which I think um, the our our ideas about race uh, do a lot to erase the legacy of our ancestors and and kind of place us in a contemporary context and box that works well for capitalism and just kind of putting us in. These kind of categories that are easier to control, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but you know each of us has a legacy that explore that deserves exploration, interrogation, uh, connectivity, um, even if even if there are some ancestors that caused harm in this world, uh, and I'm speaking you know especially in this country to white folks who have benefited from even if the, you know even if no one in there. Immediate family or anyone they know uh, participated in creating the circumstances have benefited from white supremacy. It even behooves those folks to look back into their past and to uh, some people have some ancestral healing work to do. I think both folks who have caused harm ancestrally and folks who have experienced trauma, um, it's really, really important to know who you are, where you came from. And to uh, and to to carry that legacy forward, and to do the healing work that's necessary for us to uh, to co-create a better future. Um, but you know, but again, my my lens is really um, intentionally and unapologetically black. So mm-hmm. that oftentimes, when you ask me questions about that, I will speak about that experience because it's the one that i know intimately but i think that there are yeah there are aspects of that that would be relevant to everyone
0: absolutely and it's it's not lost on me either that that work of ancestral healing and connection requires an active imagination and a creative component in order to to connect to that place internally ancestrally whether you know it's your your living memory or the cellular memory that you carry with you—that um, that those reverberations can't be heard unless you're engaging in an intuitive pursuit. I think.
1: Yeah, I think so too. That that's where like mindfulness and meditation, and mm-hmm. you know, whatever your practice is, for some people it might be prayer. Um, you know, there's there's no one way to get at that deeper. Um, that deeper cosmic resonance, um, but yeah, I, I do think it's an important pursuit uh, if we want to if we want to build a better world than than the ones that our ancestors
0: uh, struggled through. Yeah. Is that did that at all come into play when you sought public office? I mean, speaking also as an artist, I can't think of anything more antithetical to my own artistic process than than working in a civic capacity like that and that's that's obviously speaking for me so i'm curious for you you sought the mayorship of what is 2017 i think Mm -hmm. Um, and up till that point you as far as i can tell you'd been working primarily as as a musician as an artist as a teacher Um, what were some of the things that, that led you to, to jump into that public sphere in, in such a big way?
1: Yeah, well, I think, um, a couple things, uh, first of all, uh, my great grandfather, wait a minute, is that right? Pop up Alan Freelon senior. Yeah. So my great grandfather on my dad's side, so this is my dad's grandfather, paternal, Uh, Alan Freelon Sr. was a Harlem Renaissance Impressionist painter. He was an educator in the uh, Philadelphia uh, system. And, um, you know, I I knew the artist side of him. I didn't know until after I ran for mayor that he also ran for... uh, Ran for uh, his state general assembly in 1949. Uh, I didn't know that story, but it didn't surprise me, yeah. Um, also, my, my grand my paternal grandfather ran for school board and city council in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, again, not a big part of his life that we talk about often, but it it didn't surprise me. I mean, here's the thing, like
0: picking up those, those genetic threads, those historical threads that you're talking about, even, even intuitively it sounds like.
1: Yeah. I mean, just like I talked about kind of the, my Afrocentric grandmother, um, you know, there were aspects to the seeds that she planted that, uh, I was unaware of at the time had taken root within my spirit in a deep way. Um, But I mean, at the, at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, rather, (laughs) I think it's depending on how you look at it, it's the, uh, it's really empathy and wanting to create a better world for yourself and your community. So you see that in an, in an educator, you know, somebody who works with young people and teaches and mentors, Um, I think you see that in art, Um, not all art, but uh, a lot of it, and particularly the art that my great-grandfather made and that I strive to make is really about healing and community and uh, education and solidarity and uh, joy. You know, those things are things that are missing in our public civic square And uh, you know, last night I had my last city council meeting. I I didn't run for re-election this year and we'll be moving back into a primarily creative uh, lane. But um, as I reflect on the service that I've uh, offered the city of Durham as a member of city council, uh, the thing that that really um, underscores uh, my time is that having a creative voice in a in a space where uh resources are allocated where folks are grieving a lot of times you know you hear from folks when something's wrong when somebody gets hurt or shot or killed uh, when somebody uh, is about to be evicted from their home uh, when somebody uh, somebody's water main bursts and um you know, their house that they've lived in for 50 years is, is, has been soaked and is full of mold. You know, they, they reach out to you under these desperate circumstances. And that is a time where someone with empathy and creativity and, um, is really necessary. And I don't see, and in, and in terms of envisioning and manifesting a future, you need someone in the room Who can think outside the box? When I first got into office, I had all these kind of, or sorry, when I first ran for office, I had all these crazy ideas that people thought were so unreasonable and not feasible. Um, A lot of those ideas that people were kind of writing off as phantasmagorical are actual policy now, today. Things like guaranteed income. When I brought that up in 2017, how are we going to pay for it? This isn't economically feasible. This is going to cost millions of dollars that we don't have. And, you know, it didn't, those naysayers didn't stop me from articulating a vision. And then, you know, three years later, unbeknownst to, to anybody on Durham City Council, the founder of Twitter, Jack Dorsey's, like, hey, I want to do a, 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 a guaranteed income pilot a, across the country. Here's $15 million, get it going. Whoa. And because we had already had that conversation in our public square, Durham was in a primary position to say yes, we are ready. We'll do it over here. Wow. Um, you know, that, that kind of visionary thinking is not common in a space where people are limited by the constructs of what has been yeah. and the way things have been going. Um, I think that's like an artist's, you know, that, that that's, we specialize in what could and should and can and will be. Uh, That same God power that we talked about earlier, the power to bring things into existence, to manifest, um, that's what we do. And when there's not someone in the room who's tapped into that, then when Twitter guy says, hey, here's $15 million to do guaranteed income, and he looks around the country and says, where do I want to plant these seeds? He's going to go to Austin. He's going to go to San Francisco. He's going to go to you know wherever, but he's not going to look at Durham because – we haven't we haven't called for it in a way that has made us seem like a like a potential destination. It's like the law of attraction, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't need to know that the Twitter guy was coming in three years to be able to articulate that this is something that was needed. And um, while I I don't think that I you know that I manifested that personally, there were others like my colleague. Uh, Mark Anthony Middleton, a couple years later, was talking about the same thing. Um, I do think that that uh, it's important to have uh, visionaries, and, and I think young people in particular, and creative people in particular, uh, and diverse voices in particular, um, in those civic spaces, so that we can transform them yeah. with the the energy that we inherently hold in our practice as. Uh, as artists um so you know in, in terms of what got me into politics it wasn't it wasn't that deep it was really just like Donald Trump was elected I was like there's really, a catalyst um, there was one. Oh yeah that was a catalyst and then Mayor Bell who was the mayor when I was in high school yeah. um you know retired that same year and uh you know just kind of looking at the landscape of of what I wanted really federally I wanted like I wanted like Michael B Jordan or or like Tracy Ellis Ross with like Bernie Sanders politics that's what I wanted <laughs> to vote for and um oh, yeah. and I didn't I didn't see I didn't see that anywhere really I didn't see first of all I didn't see any millennials at all um, yeah. granted Tracy Ellis Ross is not a millennial Uh, she certainly has the energy of, of youthful vigor and charisma that, uh, that I was, that was severely lacking for the same reason that you described, like most for yourself, like, oh, politics seems like the death of creativity. Um, so a lot of our most brilliant thinkers, a lot of our most visionary beings, um, avoid political spaces like the plague. Um, you know, ironically, uh, th- those are the spaces where their, where their energy and, and ideas uh, are most needed in their presence.
0: It's that sense of the commons that's been lost as well that you're talking about. Mm. At least that's what I'm, I'm hearing as well is that the commons used to include everyone's voice it wasn't just politicians it was also the polis that would come in and and have those dialogues and where people could have good faith conversations and you could hold multiple ideas and perspectives simultaneously without just trying to perform and push you know one person's agenda it was it was that common space where everyone's voice had uh, had equal equal sway
1: mhm yeah that that's i think that's It's important. And, uh, you know, for many reasons, including privilege, including access, including, you know, you can't be what you don't see. You don't, you don't have that chorus. You don't have, there are a lot of voices missing from the chorus. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever been to, (laughs) yeah, the, the, I think the chorus metaphor is useful because, um, you know, especially when I was running for office, I went to a lot of churches to talk to constituents and synagogues and spiritual places and there are some places where the chorus is quite bland and the the everyone in the choir is like over 70 and it's like i used to go to i went to school at immaculata back in the day and i just thought wow the 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 songs you're singing and the way you're singing them are very different from like the band and i mean the band that's rocking out at the Baptist churches that my grandma, uh, you know, rocks at in Cambridge, and um, you know, I think ultimately you want a chorus of diverse voices and influences, and that's when you get the best music. Um, but you know, when I looked up in 2017, you know, post Trump, trying to make sense of the fact that we didn't have anyone in politics who looked or thought remotely like me um, I looked down from federal to state anyone in the federal no at the state no at the local no our Durham city government at that time had a median age of like 65 years old um,
0: really?
1: you know and and meanwhile the median age in Durham was like 32 33 it was my age
0: yeah
1: and um, I was like you know not just youth but the, you know, the, the the chorus, you want to be diverse in a myriad of ways, not just young and old, yeah. but, um, you know, different perspectives, different backgrounds. So I, I threw my hat in the ring uh, on that basis. And, and then, you know, my intuition, my ancestors, everything we've talked about played a role in, in defining what that experience would come to mean for me.
0: Um, yeah. Do you feel like now that you're stepping out of that ring, well, there's two parts to this question. One, do you feel like you've left an influence there that has some lasting impact in terms of that imagine, imaginative thinking that you're talking about, that sort of artist in office I think you mentioned in an interview? Um, and then the second yeah. part of the question is, hmm. now that you're – I'm assuming you're getting back into your musical career. Obviously, you've got this amazing album coming out. That is that the way that you're trying to affect change? Let me. I'll, I'll separate those questions. So,
1: yeah, the first question uh, regarding the impact. I absolutely think uh, my presence on Durham City Council has transformed the council. I can say that with confidence, and I think my colleagues would agree. Um, having my perspective as uh, as someone who's tapped into his ancestors and vulnerability was was different. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that my colleagues aren't—it's just different. My my approach was different. Um, the ideas that I brought to the table were different. Uh, and from when I when I was running for mayor in 2017 to now, uh, as a serving city council member, I absolutely feel like my presence has been transformative. Um, and uh, and I hope that it will open the door and pave the way for other uh, creatives to get some access to the space because it's so important that,
0: um, that our voices are heard. The last question I have for you is what is the question that's not being asked right now?
1: The question that's not being asked, um, Hmm. What is the question that's not being asked right now? So the word that's coming up for me is future. I'm not sure what other words uh, ornament the front, back or side of that particular word. But um, I think what, you know, that's really it. Future, question mark, maybe that's it. Uh, That's the question, I think, that I I, um, ponder. It's a question that is the subject of a lot of the um, spaces that I occupy creatively, politically, uh, as an educator. It's really about the future, nurturing future leaders and talent, um, creating policies that will impact the future, um, thinking about kind of legacy through my art, through my children. Um, yeah, that's it. Future question work.
0: Brilliant. Pierce Freelon, it's an honor and a privilege to have you here. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for sticking around to the end. If you'd like to know more about Pierce and his work, including his Grammy nomination for the children's album, Black to the Future, go to www.piercefreelon.com. And for more information about what we do at Carolina Commons and the Quotidian, go to carolinacommons.org or thequotidianpod.com. Thanks for being here. See you next time.